0: Good morning. It is so good to see all of you. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope it was a time uh, with your family where we could focus a day on giving thanks. Uh, Multiple people have commented on my attire today, and I appreciate it. Um, It's like I was telling Don earlier, the nicer I look, that means the harder the sermon is. So if I come up in jeans and a polo, John three sixteen, Jesus loves you, let's go to two amigos. Um, if, it, if it's a little bit in between, then it, you know, it's a difficult passage, but not the hardest, and then, but then today, buckle in, okay? So, look good, feel good, uh, let's get ready for it. Uh, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it's going to be primarily where we are, we're also going to look at verses 20 through 22 through 24. Philippians chapter one verse twenty one will also be in verses twenty two through twenty four. So have you ever heard of a living funeral? Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a living funeral. John, you said you've done like thousands of funerals. Have you ever done a living funeral? I'm not, aware of. not that you're aware of. Robbie, what about y'all? Y'all ever done a living funeral? So it's apparently a growing trend of people doing a living funeral. And there's there's a number of reasons for it. Sometimes it's people trying to grasp their own mortality. Sometimes it's for the family of that. It's easier to have a memorial service for the person who is about to pass away while they're still there. But apparently the most common reason for a living funeral is the person that is about to die wants to hear all of the great things that people have to say about them. So they are in attendance to their own funeral. I think that is fascinating. Also a little bit sad. I will be having my own living funeral next week. John will be doing it. (laughs) But what does that say of we need to hear all of the great things that people have to say about us when we die. Because in reality, I think we should probably already know what it is that people are going to say about us. The type of person that you are, you should probably already know what people are going to say by the type of effect that you've had on them by how much of an influence you've been on them, by the way that you live your life, you probably already know what people ultimately have to say. So when we look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, this is a letter by Paul, and Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if you're reading along, most of your translations probably say for to me. That doesn't really have any difference in the meaning. It's just a literal rending, rendering of the Greek text. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, this is one of the what we call the prison epistles, one of the prison letters that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned in Rome. And there was a real possibility that he was going to be executed during this imprisonment. And so a lot of these letters, he is really grappling, again, with his own mortality, and also trying to see, you know, where, where is this going to land? If I stay, God will be glorified. But if I go, guess what? God will be glorified. Because to live is Christ, and to die is gain— for me. So why does he specify for me? Because I think a lot of times we quote this passage, but we typically leave out for me. We just say to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was a common verse that was talked about at DBU, sometimes in all seriousness and sometimes just kind of as a joke. Hey, I'm about to roll down the massive hill at DBU, to live as Christ, to die is gain, right? not what Paul meant. He specifies for me, one, I think that he's reassuring his own salvation because he knows the gospel, but he's also making it known that this isn't for everyone. Paul has a way of doing that, that he'll throw in these little details of it would be really easy to just have the second and third part of that verse, to live as Christ and to die as gain, And then that seems like it's for everybody. And Paul's not making this exclusive just to himself, but this is a theme throughout the entire book. It's a book of joy because of what God has done in his life and the life of the Philippians. So in a way, it's him talking about what we call perseverance, essentially meaning once saved, always saved, that you were saved by the blood of Christ and you cannot lose that. Is also saying, hey, this is not for everybody. We have to be doing our work. We have to be doing our part so that everybody can say this, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. I can say that. I, Paul, can say that. But can you say that? Can everybody that we come in contact with this being the Philippians, can everybody that the Philippians come in contact with, can they say, oh yeah, I see God in you. For you to live is for Christ to be spread on this earth. So if every one of us in here were just to examine our own lives, our daily life, what would we be able to say? Is it easy for it to say, yes, for me to live is Christ. For me to live means that God is being spread everywhere, that I am loving the way that God calls us to love, that I am treating the poor and the needy the way that God calls us to treat them. Or is for me to live, is that for myself? For me to live, is that what I'm interested in? For me to live, is that building up my economic prosperity? For me to live, fill in the blank. We talk a lot about We know where our priorities are when we look at our bank statement. Or we know where our priorities are if we were to log our time. Is our time mostly spent, or at least a good chunk of it, doing God's work? Being in prayer, being in his word, so that we are filled up by the Holy Spirit? Because that's what it would be to live as Christ, so that we can go out. We're building out. In the book of Haggai, it talks about their priorities, that they were prioritizing their own comfort ahead of worshiping God. So where do I fall on that? Where do all of us fall on that? And I think it's something that we need to examine on a regular basis, because it's really easy for me to spend substantially more time in my interests and in my hobbies, and in work, so on and so forth, and to neglect this, to neglect being the light, salt and light of the earth. So that's for me. That's for Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so while this is a joyous verse, a joyous passage, he starts off kind of, kind of Rough, kind of hard. This isn't for everyone. Let's get the point across and then we can get to the joyous part. So, for me, and then to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And so he expands on this, kind of explains what this means to live is Christ in verse 22. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. So the fruitful work, like we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, of how whenever God lives in us, we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Whenever we are walking with God, we love because he first loved us. We are the salt and light of the earth. And this is essentially giving the example of what Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20, Of It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we're seeing whenever we are walking with God, that it is Christ who is truly living in us, and then that is seen by others. So this isn't, what is beautiful about this is it isn't how much do I do? That's the beauty of the gospel, is this isn't how much do I do, how hard do I work, how many boxes can I check off? How much do I give? How much time do I spend? etc.? What this is, is how much do we walk with God? To live as Christ, how much do we walk with God and let him do the work? We have to do our part for sure because we can make selfish decisions, selfish decisions. That's hard to say. Selfish decisions. I said it wrong again. Anyways, we can make selfish decisions or... We can just keep going on about our time, our day, as we please, or we can truly be walking with God and allowing him to work through us. But if we're just trying on our own to be the salt and light of the earth, we're going to fail. That's not what Jesus says is, oh, work as hard as you can to be the salt and light of the earth. No, he's saying, walk with me and you will be the salt and light of the earth. Walk with me and you will love the way that I loved. Walk with me and you will have the fruit of the Spirit. Not try really hard to love, try really hard to be peaceful, try really hard to have self-control, et cetera. No, walk with me so that you will grow in these traits, in these qualities. Sometimes I think it's really sad whenever somebody passes away typically like a famous person, and all we have to talk about are their accolades and what they did. I remember this verse specifically really hit me a few years ago whenever the basketball player, Kobe Bryant, died. Because all we heard about was how good he was at basketball. He was great. One of the best of all time. But we didn't hear, oh man, every time that I saw Kobe, I just, I could see God in him. Every time that Kobe walked into the room, you just knew that God was working in him, that he loved the way that God loved. We saw that working in him. No, we heard about how good he was at basketball. And I don't, I don't know his spiritual life. I don't know where he is now or anything. It was just sad to me that we heard about how good he was at basketball rather than what his spiritual life was like. That we saw Christ in him. So I've noticed something when I go to a Christian funeral that there's two types. There's lots of types of funerals, but specifically, a Christian funeral is the first one I find tragic. Because whoever is speaking, whether it's the family, or the person officiating, it almost seems like they're trying to convince us that the person was a Christian. They're trying to convince us that they're gone now, but it's better. Because remember, we were there whenever they got baptized when they were eight. Or I've even been at funerals where they start talking about once saved, always saved. And to me, that was them saying, hey, yeah, this person had not been doing a whole lot lately. We know the lifestyle they've been living, but remember, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved, yes, but you still have to truly be saved first. It's not, oh, I'm saved, so I do what I want. You are continuing that lifestyle. And then the beautiful type of Christian funeral is when we know where that person is that it's a celebration. It's a celebration of their life. It's a celebration of what God has done. That death is no longer a punishment. That death is no longer a consequence of the fall, but death has been something that has been redeemed and something that is beautiful. Last month, my grandmother died. And... In her waning moments, we were all together with her in her hospital room. And hearkening back to one of John's sermons on the 23rd Psalm, where he talked about, you can know the psalm, but you can also know the psalmist. You can also know the shepherd of the psalm. And I made the comment of how glad I was that she knew the shepherd. And my mom added to that and said, She knew the shepherd and every one of us was led to him by her one way or the other. Now, I never sat down with her and she gave me the Roman road or the three circles and fleshed out the gospel, but I saw God working in her. And she did do that with people, but I was able to see how a Christian is supposed to live. I was able to see God's love in her by the way that she lived. And during the memorial— the pastor shared something that my grandfather has told him where he said that he turned his life over to Jesus because of his wife's influence. She never nagged him. She never preached at him. She never hit him over the head with the Bible. She just lived her faith out in front of him and was an example of that caused the desire in me to have what she had. When I was talking to him last night, he said that he just knew who Jesus was because it was obvious and evident that he lived in her and that he knew what Jesus' love was like because of the way that she loved, because of how closely that she walked with him. That is what it means to live as Christ because I can go get you a stack of commentaries this tall. I can go get you all of the theology books in the world. We can sit down and look at the Greek and the syntax of this verse. We can listen to all the sermons, watch all the YouTube videos, and we're never going to know what it means to live as Christ by doing all of that as much as we do by seeing somebody live it out by seeing somebody who walks with Jesus day in and day out, that they listen to him and that they talk to him and that their goal is to love the way that he first loved us. That is how we see what it means to live as Christ. That is how other people that don't know him are going to come to know him. Is there a time and place to sit down and explain That God intended perfection, that we messed it up, so God sent his one and only son to die for us, that if we believe in him, we should have eternal life? Absolutely there is. But nobody's going to want to listen to that if they don't see him in us prior. They have to see that we love because he loved. They have to see that we are the salt and the light because he lives in us, or else that message is just gonna fall on deaf ears. Russie and Michelle Johnson were our interim Sunday school teachers for 22 years. And Russie always gave an example to our students that sunk into me as well, that if he, he's their Sunday school teacher and then he pulls up to Sonic, where a lot of them used to work, and he cusses them out because they got his drink wrong, well, then that's not going to give a very good example of what it means to be a Christian. That's not going to do a very good job of showing who Jesus is. And then that's whenever that message falls on deaf ears. But if we live this out, if we walk with God, and we can truly say, for me to live is Christ, then that message has eternal value. Incredible value, incredible power. And again, this isn't putting this on us. We have our responsibilities, yes. But it is God working in us and it is God's power in that message and the way that he can work through us that people can see God in us. So for me to live is Christ and lastly to die is gain. And Paul explains this in verses 23 and 24. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So him saying, because God works in me so much, because of God's power, if I stay here, it's better for everybody else. While it's much better for me to bring God glory by going to him. But again we see that humility that we get whenever we're walking with God that he's realizing this isn't again this isn't what I'm doing this is what God is doing and he's also willing to stay here on earth so that God can continue to be proclaimed even though it's far better to be with him in glory where there is no more mourning there's no sickness there's no sickness there's no death etc See, but this isn't the dilemma that we see. A lot of us have seen this famous scene from Hamlet of the to be or not to be, that is the question. Because at that moment in Hamlet, he's contemplating what is the purpose of life? What, is there really a difference between life and death? Is there really, does it matter if I live or if I die to be or not to be? That is the question. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to live is Christ and to die is gain because I'm with Christ. So I'm either proclaiming Christ when I'm here or Christ is glorified when I'm not here because God has worked in him. Paul is saying God has worked in me that either way, Christ is being proclaimed. He is at complete peace because he knows that Jesus is with him one way or the other. So to die is gain only when it is truly Christ when we live. Because again, at the end of the day, somebody can say, oh yeah, they were baptized when they were six. But if we didn't truly live that out, if we weren't truly one with God, then to die isn't truly gain. And that's the tragedy of it. That's the reality and the result of the fallen world that we are in. But the beauty of it, it's like I said earlier, this is the end result of the gospel. That what was destroyed in the fall, has now been completely redeemed by Jesus' sacrifice, by his resurrection. That death is no longer a punishment. Death is no longer something terrible, but it is something beautiful. It is something that brings God glory. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. But we have to be living with him for death to be that beautiful thing that God has recreated it to be. A few years ago, there was a Christian rock band that had a song called Live It Well. And your your mileage may vary on Christian rock, and that's fine, but to me, this is one of the most profound songs that I've ever heard. And the guy who wrote it, the singer of the band, the brother knows what's up. It is a truly profound song to the point that the first time I heard it, I had to pull my car over because I was crying because of how profound it was to say, did I live it well? Let me read it for us. If I'm being honest with myself, is this where I'm supposed to be? Am I really making a difference for something bigger than me? What will I leave behind, and what will they say when I die? What is the story that my life will tell, and did I tell it with my whole heart? Did I live it for more than myself, and did I live it well? If I see a door and don't walk through it, is the blood on my hands? You tell me I'm thinking too much, but you already had a plan. I know I feel this way because I'm afraid that I won't add up to the standards I create. But what will my story be? What is the story my life will tell and did I tell it with my whole heart? Did I live it for more than myself and did I live it well? Was I the hero or the villain? Was I a hypocrite? Or did I live it? What is the story my life will tell, and did I live it well? Did I make them proud? Did I live out loud? Will they remember me for something more than just the words I sang? Insert whatever it is that you and I do into that. When I go, I want to know that I was something more than just a name on a stone. And when I leave, I hope they say that I chose to live my life for something bigger than me. What will they say when I die? What is the story my life will tell and did I live it well? At the end, when all is said and done and I take my last breath, did I live it well? At the end... Will they say I came to know Christ because of their influence? I saw God's love because of the way that they live their life. Is that true for me? Is that true for all of us? Because for Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's examine in ourselves that is true for all of us. That God's beautiful redemption is true for us and that everything we do furthers God's kingdom in some way or another.